Hey, it's great to be back home. Had a couple good weeks of time away, but it's always time to come back with what God has put on my heart. Usually for the past four or five summers, we would do pastor's summer reflections. And what I felt this week, this year to do is just summer reflections from the pastoral staff. And I don't know about you, but I have really enjoyed hearing from our staff members. Three weeks ago, Pastor Bonnie talking on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That was just a tremendous word. We had a girl, who re, a lady who received the baptism of the Holy Spirit for the first time. Praise the Lord. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, Pastor, Pastor Paul talked about limbo. I mean, he even had people up on here doing the limbo, you know, and a great job. And then I thought what was so interesting is how connected it was to Pastor Emily's message on God's timing. And I'm telling you, for her first time preaching, I mean, we sat home watching it online, and I, I was, I am so proud of our staff members. In fact, Pastor Matt, thank you, give it up for him. Pastor Matt, as we speak, is in Navajo Nation, leading a group of young people from the New Jersey district uh, with, among an Indian reservation. And we have invested over the past two years money to build wells out there. We're about ready to send another $10,000 off to build another well. And in two weeks, he'll be back to share his summer reflection. So, so what I get to do is four weeks ago, I kind of kicked it off with, with this is what I felt like God was telling me through the summer months. Look for grace encounters. As you read God's word, look for grace encounters. And I, four weeks ago, I talked about a very strange parable, that one that we don't hear much of, of the parable of the vineyard workers. And could you imagine working for 12 hours and getting the same pay as those who worked one hour? I like to think of it this way. I'd rather think of the one guy that worked for an hour and got the same pay as the guy who worked for 12 hours. You know, but that's God's grace. And as I started to look into grace encounters, would you stand for the reading of God's word? I just want to use this as a springboard to just kind of share about my time away. Ephesians 3, 8, Ephesians 3, 7 and 8, Paul says this. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace. Now, I'm telling you, we could camp out there all morning. Aren't you glad for the gift of God's grace that made you a servant to this gospel? I was sitting out on the beach one morning, and one of my favorite Christian artists is Kim Walker-Smith. And she sings a song, How He Loves. And she, in that song, she likens God, the ocean to God's grace. And one morning, it was just so calm. And I was just thinking of God's grace, how God's grace is endless. It just goes on and on and on. The next day on a Thursday morning, I was sitting on the ocean early morning, and the ocean was relentless. It was just wavy. The waves were just, they just kept coming in and coming in. And I'm thinking, isn't it, not only is God's grace endless, God's grace is relentless, man. It just keeps coming and coming and coming after you. Given me through the working of his power, 
though I am least, though I am less than the least, though I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles. And here it is. The unsearchable reaches, the unsearchable riches of God's grace. The unsearchable riches of Christ. You may be seated. That was a devotional passage one morning. And in looking for grace encounters, I came up to Luke chapter 15, very familiar passage of Scripture. And I knew that in Luke chapter 15, there is a grace encounter. But it's a grace encounter that's very familiar, often preached about, often heard, very familiar. And when you get to a familiar passage of Scripture, what's your tendency? Just to kind of breeze through it because you've heard it so many times. But this is what unsearchable riches. And that morning, I just felt impressed. Treat Luke chapter 15 like the Christmas story, like Easter. Every year you talk about the Christmas story and Easter. And how many different ways are there to tell that story? But each year... There's an unsearchable richness. There's a, uh, there's, God's word is inexhaustible. So even though you come to this familiar passage of Scripture, maybe I have something in it for you and for the congregation that you've never seen before. And I was like, okay, Lord. So for five days on the beach every morning, I just kept reading about a story of a man with two sons. You know the parable so well. To understand the context, because I said context is everything, you can't overlook verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15, where it says this. Now tax collectors and sinners were gathered around to hear him. All these sinners were gathered around Jesus. But how many know in life there's always a but? Everything's going great, but. How was vacation? Great, but. How are you doing? Great, but. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, criticized, complained, griped. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Boy, you could cut the tension with a knife. You can sense the tension. Jesus, sensing sensing the tension, then tells three parables, three stories. One about a farmer who has a hundred sheep. And as he counts, there's only 99 And he goes on a search and rescue mission for that one that's lost. And then he tells a story about a lady who is frantically looking for one of her lost coins, one of her ten. 
And what's so significant about that is, I don't know if you know this, but, but those 10 coins literally are like her engagement ring. For when her fiancé goes and settles on a dowry to pay the father, then the fiancé gives his bride-to-be these 10 coins. And she wears them in a headdressing around public to know that she's been spoken for. So when she loses one, it's of great value to her. And then, of course, the story of a father whose son comes back home. Now, there's so many things that can be said about these stories, but there's one point, one thread that runs through them all. That when something was lost and it was found, come on, there was great rejoicing. Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. Let's have a feast. Let's have a celebration for this son of mine who was dead is alive. And Jesus tells these three stories to these, I'm just going to call them grumpy old saints. Can anybody identify? No, I don't want to be identified as a grumpy old saint. Not me. Well, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one, we're going to focus on the younger one, said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And when that younger son got his money, come on, you all know it, he went to a distant country, Spent it on wild living until he wasted it all and had nothing left. There was great famine in the country where he was. And he took up employment with a farmer. And the farmer says, the only job I have for you is to feed my pigs. Now we're assuming that this family that Jesus was talking about was Jewish. And for this young man to go feed pigs, that which is unclean, split hoof, what he was basically saying was this. Jesus was saying this young man had no value, had no regards for his heritage, for his tradition, for his religion, for his upbringing. And that's how far he has fallen. And now he's feeding pigs, and he becomes so hungry, he wishes he could eat what the pigs are eating. A couple months ago, he was feasting on prime ribs. Now he's in a pig pen longing for what the pigs are eating. And this is what I thought to myself. A familiar story we know so well, and this is what I said. I've always said the best way to learn is by asking questions. And here's the question that I pondered. How did he get in such a mess? How did he get in such a mess? And this is what I concluded. Number one, he was self-centered. He was selfish. 
He basically, when he asked for his inheritance, he was basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I can't wait for you to die. Give me my money now. Selfishness. Selfishness will always get us into a mess. He acted hastily. He took off to a distant country. Now, you know, a lot of you know my personality. I started searching, where is the distant country? I want to know. Don't you? I, I, I'm a detailed-oriented person, and I wanted to know the distant, the distant, the distant country. But it never says. Because this is what I believe Jesus was saying. It's not a matter of geography. One step out of God's will is a distant country. When we think of a distant country, we think a thousand miles away. And Jesus says, one step out of my will, you're in a distant country. It's not a matter of geography. It's a matter of a broken relationship with the heavenly father will always take you to a distant country. And he wasted everything he had on wild living. And when it says everything, this is what I thought of. He had no intention of going home. If he had intentions of going home, he would have taken some assets and left them home. But he had no intentions of ever going home. He took everything and he wasted it on wild living. Prodigal means to waste. And watch out when you start to separate yourself from friends, family, people, and community. He broke every important relationship with his father, with his brother, with his family, with the community members. And he was not wise. One sin leads to another sin, which leads to another sin. One lie leads to another lie, which leads to another lie. And before you know it, you're telling lies to cover up the lies. He made so many bad decisions. He got down the road, and it was easier to make a bad decision than a right decision. And I don't think it's coincidental that Jesus adds this next part. Jesus says in the story, after he spent everything, there was severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. Whenever you leave the Heavenly Father, there's going to be famine. Whenever you leave God, whenever you forsake that relationship with Jesus Christ, man, whenever you turn your back on him, there's going to be famine, and you're going to be in need. Now, the next four verses are so instrumental in telling the story how this young man got back home. And don't overlook the significance of these next four verses. I'm going to summarize what brought this young man home with five simple words. 
How does this apply? Well, you're not a prodigal because you're here today. But you may know of a prodigal. You may pray for the lost. You may be praying for one to come back home. You may be praying for one who is out there who needs Jesus Christ. And sometimes we don't really know how to pray. Well, I'm going to give you five words how to pray for the lost. When he came to his senses, listen, sin is senseless. Sin is senseless. Sin is a temporary, spiritual, bizarre, crazy thing that will make you lose your sense of direction, your sense of purpose. When he came to his senses, think about this. He left drinking from living water to drinking out of the cesspool. I don't know how else to put it. And here's the word. There came an awakening. And we need to pray for this lost world that there would be a great awakening. For those who need Jesus Christ, we need to pray for an awakening. And how did that awakening come? As a result of a physical need. He was hungry. And I'm telling you, it's hard. But we need that there would be a physical need in the lives of the prodigals that they would have a great awakening. Secondly, I will go back to my father. He realized he needed to change directions. He realized he needed to do a 180. He realized he needed to go back to the Father. You know what we call that? We call that repentance. Awakening leads to a repentance. But here's the thing. He was hungry. There was this physical need. But he realized the root problem was not to get some physical food. He realized the root problem was to restore the broken relationship that he had with his father. And we need to pray for this lost world that there be a great awakening that leads to a repentance as a result of a physical need and they get to the root that the root cause is a broken relationship with their creator that needs to be restored. Father, he rehearsed what he was going to say. I have sinned against you. Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven and against you. When we're serious about a change, we're going to stop making excuses and take personal responsibility. I call that honesty. Do you see it? A physical need that brought about an awakening, that brought about a repentance, that brought about an honesty. Instead of justifying, instead of trying to make up a bunch of excuses, he was honest. I have sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. Boom. Took personal responsibility. That's how change will come about. And then he goes... I'm no longer to be called 
worthy of becoming your son. He, you know, he didn't go home and say, hey, dad, let's make a deal. If you do this, I'll do that. And if I do this, you can do that. And we can live happily ever after. No, I put the word humility. There was a humility that came upon him that he was not even worthy to be called his father's son. A total brokenness. An awakening that leads to repentance that leads to honesty, that leads to humility. So he got up and went to his father. Now listen, we can be critical of this prodigal son. We can be very critical of this younger son. But let me tell you, when he came to his senses, an action needed to be taken There was a resolution. He got up and went. He didn't pray about it. He didn't think about it. He didn't say, let me give this some time. He just took action. And I'm telling you, there's a lost world out there that needs to make a resolution, that needs to take action and come back to the Heavenly Father. And that's how we need to pray for the prodigals. But while he was still a long way off, His father. You know why his father saw him? Because his father had been looking for him. His father saw him a long way off and was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. No words are even exchanged. And this is what, here's one of the unsearchable riches of God's inexhaustible scripture. This is the Father's protection. What do you mean the Father's protection? Let me put it this way. Think about this. Number one, to run was, not, was, was a lack of dignity. You wore this robe. And in order to run, to run in a robe is deeply humiliating. This father, in order to run, would have to pull up the robe in order to run after his son. He didn't care about his dignity. He didn't care about his honor. All he cared about was his son. Why? Because he knew if the town's people had greeted him first, it may have been a different story. How dare you? The nerve of you. After all dad's done for you, you come around now. Really? Dad was protecting his son from the critical attitude of all the townspeople because if he knew he went out and embraced his son first, all the other people would just keep quiet. The kiss. In the, in the Greek, it's not just a kiss, but it's fervently Kissing. 
which represents forgiveness. You know, we say maybe it was Italian. Kissed on both sides. The best robe. Get him the best robe. It's a symbol of, it's a status symbol. The ring. Put the ring on. It's a sign of authority. Now, don't miss this next point. He put sandals on him. Why is that so significant? Sandals represents freedom. Slaves went barefoot. Well, why is that significant? Because a lot of times when we offer forgiveness, we offer it on the grounds of, come on, conditions, probation. Listen, I forgive you this time, but I'm going to be watching you. What did his younger son want? Freedom. And when he came back, the father put sandals on, which represents freedom. Unbelievable. And the feast was just a sign of a joyful welcome. Let's celebrate. And this part of the story closes, and this great celebration began. Meanwhile, Meanwhile, did you ever read a story and you get to the meanwhile and it's like, oh no, maybe this is how it applies to me. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. If he was in the field, what do you think he was doing? He wasn't hunting. He wasn't camping. He was working. He was working his butt off. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. What gives? So he call, they're, they're having a party without him. So he calls one of his servants and asks, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he is back safe and sound. <laughs> and the older brother became angry. And refused to go in. This is filled with some lessons here. How many of you pride yourself on being a hard worker? Come on. I pride myself on being a hard. Always took pride in being a hard worker. And you know what the Lord is saying? Be careful, because in your hard work, it can produce a self-righteous spirit that looks down on anybody, everybody else. The hard work, going the extra mile, volunteering, being involved in everything, man, being fervent about what you do. Oh, be careful that it doesn't cause you to look down and think less 
of everybody else because they're not as good as you. And here's the problem. The problem is, it's so easy to justify your actions as being right. Oh, I give you my all. I do it for you. And it's so easy to justify these actions, but we don't realize the danger in a self-righteous, better than thou, looking down on everybody else. You know what the danger is? The danger is... You don't give grace. When it came time, the brother refused to go in. He refused to offer grace. He doesn't deserve it. There's no grace. And the father comes out. Aren't you glad for a loving, compassionate Father who always comes to us in our need? And man, you can just sense the jealousy, the bitterness. Who's Jesus speaking to? The Pharisees, the tax collectors, the grumpy old saints. He eats and fellowships with sinners. And the, young, and the oldest son said, Look, Dad, look, all these years, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You think that's true? (laughs) Because, well, self-righteous always have a way of thinking they never do anything wrong, and I never disobeyed your orders, Dad, and I I think he's exaggerating. Yet you never gave me even a young goat. So I could celebrate with my friends. And don't you love it? And when this son of yours, who has squandered the property with prostitutes, come home, you kill the fatted calf for him. Give me a break. Come on. Do you see yourself a little bit? Watch out. These are the warnings I took. When there's always this sense of being treated unfairly. It's unfair. It's unfair. When you always have this sense of, of being treated unfairly. You never even gave me a goat so I could celebrate. And now you're going to. When you have this sense of unfair. It's a sense, a mark of self-righteousness. And here's something that I want to point out. A sense of being treated unfairly. The father went out to the young son. The father went out to the older son. He treated them alike. Both gave him an opportunity. Overflated view of self. Look, all the years I've been slaving for you. Like he thinks he's done everything the father. But don't you think the father has done a lot of things for this younger, for this older son? And all through this passage, it's I and my and I and my. And you see this self-righteous 
When this son of yours, he doesn't even call him his brother. When this son of you, you know what it implies? This son of you, dad, man, there's nobody to blame but yourself. You enabled him. You gave him the money. You set him off, man. You know, I, don't, don't even, don't, don't, don't even talk to me, dad. Nah, I don't, 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 don't. My son. My son. You are always with me. And everything I have is yours. That's grace. But we had to celebrate because, don't miss this, because this brother of yours You got it? This brother of yours. (laughs) Your son. No, this brother of yours. Isn't it like God to always put things back into perspective? When we get out of line, God always said, it's not yours, but it's your brother. This brother of yours. He was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And you know what? I've been waiting for the sequel. I hate when you watch and spend two hours watching a movie and it doesn't have a clear ending. I'll sit there and I'll tell my wife, well, what about this? And what about then what about she goes, it wasn't meant to be, but what about because it's open ending. We don't know if the older son went in or not. We don't know. And I want the sequel, so I have to stop wondering. But I'm wondering if Jesus left it open for you to decide, are you going to go in or are you going to stay out? Pastor Bonnie, why don't you come? And I'm telling you, I can identify with the older brother, the hard worker, the dedicated, always giving. It's not fair. But the danger is you're not a grace giver like your Heavenly Father. All right, here it is. Maybe you're a prodigal. And today there's been this awakening that you need to take a 180 and you need to come back to your father. Or maybe you know of a prodigal. Maybe you know of someone. And you want to pray for an awakening through a physical need. That's tough, man. That will lead to repentance Honesty, humility, and resolution. Or maybe you can identify with the older son. 
the dancing, the music, the celebration. And you're left with the decision. Do I go in and join? And not just fake it until you make it. But do you go in and rejoice because your brother who was lost is now found? Or do you stay outside? Bitter, jealous, angry. Would you bow your heads with me? going to ask you to stand to your feet. And this is what I sense. Listen, the hour is getting a little later. If you need to leave, please leave quietly. But I just sense that as we sing this next song, there are those who will really take a trip to this altar because a great awakening has occurred. Or because you want to pray for a prodigal. Or perhaps there's just been this awakening you're standing on the outside missing the celebration when a lost has been recovered. And you realize that there's this self-righteousness that keeps you from the joys of the Lord. As we sing, if you want to make a trip to this altar, man, Let's just pray together. Yes, Lord.